Hello, friends, and welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. We're one week closer to Christmas, and we're in our second week of our Christmas series called The One Who Is. We're talking about the different birth stories we see in the Bible that detail the birth of Jesus. This week, we're talking about the one who is like no other. We see a story in Luke about how miraculous the birth of Jesus was. Take a listen to our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Really, really glad you're here. My daughter sent me this this last week. I think it's pretty funny. 2011, 50 Shades of Grey sells 125 million copies. 2018, baby, it's cold outside is offensive. That is weird. We live in a weird, weird world. And since we're starting to censor things at Christmas, I decided to share with you this list of offensive songs, which I think eventually might be banned as well. Some of the lyrics might traumatize you sensitive souls. Here are my top ten. You ready? How about the Christmas song? Go ahead, Steve. Now listen, did you hear that line? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, which is pretty much not only dangerous, but it contributes to global warming, doesn't it? Okay? It keeps going. And folks dress up like Eskimos. Folks dress like Eskimos, which is cultural appropriation. We've learned that that is inappropriate, right? How about Holly Jolly Christmas? Look at this one. Holly Jolly Christmas And you walk down the street Say hello to friends you know And everyone you meet Oh, oh, the mistletoe Just that line, kiss her once for me, right? Unwanted advances, right? That's not appropriate. How about the next one? This is pretty obvious. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Enough said. Isn't that racist, right? Okay, how about Santa Claus is coming to town? Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Just there. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, which pretty much means that he's a peeping Tom and a stalker. Right? Right? Don't want to have anything to do with him. Let's keep going. How about this one? Rudolph. All of the other indies used to to call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join any reindeer. I cannot imagine a clear description of bullying. And we have enough problem with bullying in our culture without featuring it in our Christmas songs. Okay, how about this one? Beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Listen to this one. A pair of hop along boots and a pistol that she's no wish to bunny in there. Does it, we'll talk and we'll go for a walk as a hope of Genesis there. So we get pistols and boots for Barney and Ben, dolls that talk and walk for Janice and Jen, which pretty much is way too gender specific on the gifts for our kids, right? We're pretty much forcing them into molds. How about this one? Frosty the snowman. That's all you need to hear, right? Not Frosty the snow person, Frosty the snowman. That's pretty much sexist, isn't it? Let's keep going. How about this one? Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I 
hear what I hear, right? Which is pretty much blatant disregard for the hearing impaired. What if they can't hear, right? How about this one? Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet, jingle around the clock. Now, if you look at these lines, giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet, jingle around the clock, which is pretty much animal abuse, right? We're featuring animal abuse in our songs. How about this one? The last one, all the way back to Frank Sinatra, Mistletoe and Holly. Oh, by gosh, by golly, time for mistletoe and holly. Fancy ties and granny's pies, folks still a kiss or two. As they whisper, Merry Christmas to just chock full. First of all, we're not eating healthy foods. We're foisting this on our kids, these pies. And then you're stealing a kiss, which is again these unwanted advances. And then instead of happy holidays, we're forcing it upon them with Merry Christmas, right? I don't know how that song ever saw the light of day. Anyway, just shanking your chain. But it's kind of funny to follow the Christmas controversies every year, isn't it? It's a weird, weird world that we live in. And we're going, to look, we're going to look at something that makes these things look tame. Birth story of Jesus. Huh. We're in a series on the birth stories of Jesus. There are four of them in the, in, the, in the New Testament. We've got one in Matthew, Luke, John, and Revelation. We're going to look at the one in Luke today. I know that every family has its birth stories. I'm sure that you've got your birth stories. I mean, she barely made it to the hospital. She nearly had the baby in the car, right? You've probably tell a story like that. Or maybe she was in labor for two days. Dagon baby was just so stubborn. Or this baby just kept trying to come early. They had to put my wife in bed and tie her legs together for two weeks, right? <laughs> or I was standing in the middle of Target with a jar of pickles and my water broke. Got stories like that? I'm going to pause for just a second, get my stuff ready here, and if you've got a great birth story like that, tell it to someone around you. Your best birth story, tell it to someone around you. Go ahead. My family's got a couple of pretty good ones, uh, maybe not as good as yours, but my littlest brother, my youngest brother, was 11 pounds, 11 ounces at birth, right? That is not a baby, a birth story, that's a horror story, that's a toddler, right? My younger brother was only 11 pounds, 2 ounces when he was born, which seemed pretty big until Jim was born. I was actually the littlest tyke in our family. I was only eight pounds, nine ounces, a wussy little thing. But I was the toughest of all of the births, the one that caused my mother the most trouble because I came out breach, mooning the world, right? <laughs> which people have said kind of fits who I am. <laughs> but I don't care what your birth story is. It's tame compared to these I mean, I thought my brother Jim was big. This little guy was born in Italy, 22 pounds, 8 ounces. Mothers, that's just wrong, isn't it? Right? And, and by the way, that baby laying next to him is not a snack. They just put it there for perspective. <laughs> then you go to the other side, and you got this little tyke right here. This girl was born at 21 weeks, 4 days, weighing in at less than a pound down in San Antonio, Texas. As you can see, she made it. Isn't that pretty cool? 
I, I like this one. This, this next one's pretty cool. You've got these twins, one black and one white. These girls are twins. I guess there's a one in a million chance that a mixed race couple will have twins of two different colors. I think that's flat out cool, right? And then sometimes it's about the mamas. This may be the toughest mama I've ever heard about. Inez Ramirez Perez. I don't know if I said that right. She's a Mexican mother. She performed a C-section on herself, right, in an emergency. That is a birth story. If there's ever a zombie apocalypse, I want her on my team, right? And none of these birth stories compares to the story of Jesus' birth as told by a doctor named Luke. Luke the physician. Suspect Luke, Dr. Luke has seen a few births. No one has ever seen a birth that compares to this one. I'm telling you, if it happened the way Luke says it happened, this is the wildest of the birth stories. I mean, outside of the 22-pound Italian baby, the other ones are pretty spectacular, but I suspect you found them plausible. Weird, plausible. But if I told you the birth story like the one Luke tells us in his gospel, you'd think that I got it from the National Enquirer, the star, some other tabloid that I picked up at the checkout line at Kroger. It would rank right up there with these. Hillary Clinton adopts an alien baby, right? Or this girl gives birth to a frog. More photos, page three. Luke's story sounds like something that Snopes would blow off as mostly false. The rest of the media would probably brand it as fake news and move on. Think I'm exaggerating? Let's see. Let's go back and look at Luke's birth story of Jesus one more time. And what you need to do, this is really, really hard to do. It's almost impossible for us. But you've got to try to pretend that you've never heard this story before. You've never heard of a Mary, a Joseph, a Jesus. You don't know anything about the crucifixion, the resurrection. You're trying to hear the story as if you've never heard it before. How does it sound to you? Now, when Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth, he actually backs up to the story of John the Baptist because John the Baptist was supposed to be the forerunner of the Messiah. So he talks about an old priest by the name of Zechariah with a, with a barren old wife by the name of Elizabeth. That's what Luke tells us. He says they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive because they were both too old to conceive. Till one day... Zechariah was at work in the temple and an angel shows up. Really, that's what it says. An angel pops into the temple to talk to Zechariah. The angel says this to him. He says, don't freak out on me, Zechariah. Your wife is going to have a baby and you're going to name him John. Now, if I started out this morning by telling you that last week I was in my office and an angel pops into my office and tells me that Julie and I are going to have a baby, would you buy that? I know that Julie wouldn't buy that. Well, Luke tells us Zechariah didn't buy it either. He says, I'm an old man. My wife's no kid either. Apparently, the angel gets kind of ticked off. I guess it's not smart to push on an angel. Angel says, since you don't believe me, why don't you just say nothing for about nine months, right? Let's see how a few months of silence will adjust your attitude. Now, do you think that encounter would make the tabloids and the checkout line at Kroger? Just imagine the headlines. Angel appears to old preacher in his office, predicts a miracle birth, strikes him dumb. Photos, page three. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Well, what happens next? Dr. Luke tells us that Elizabeth actually does get pregnant. This is not a virgin birth. Elizabeth is no virgin, but it's a wild story. Kind of story that people down at the Senior Citizen Center are going to be talking about for a long time, right? 
And then Dr. Luke gets to the really crazy part, the Jesus part. He says that God sends the angel next to a young virgin this time, not to an old lady way past childbearing age. This time it's to a child, a girl who's still a virgin. Now back then, if she's a virgin engaged to be married, she's probably about 12 or 13 years old. She was younger than my granddaughter, likely, Morgan, who by now would be married with a kid or two. That's not a suggestion, by the way. All right. Angel says to Mary, you're going to conceive a son. No sex. You're going to conceive a son. You're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus. That's what it says. And it's right there. And Luke tells us that Mary responds very appropriately. Huh? Maybe you popped into the wrong house. Angel, I'm a virgin, you know. Angel says, I know, right house, right girl. God is going to do it. Somehow God is going to implant some baby inside of you in a magical way. In fact, he's going to be called the son of God. Now, if you brought that home to your parents, no parent is going to buy that one. No fiance is going to buy that one. No friend at school is going to buy that story. But the only people who will buy that story are the people in the checkout line at Kroger, Right? Virgin pregnant claims God did it. Photos, page three. That's what it sounds like. Dr. Luke keeps piling it on. He tells us that a few days later, Mary goes to see Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth? She's the geriatric mom. Apparently, they're related in some fashion. Well, here's what Luke says happens. Apparently, Elizabeth by now is about six months along. Mary is just pregnant. She enters the house. She calls out to Elizabeth and apparently John the Baptist, who's still in Elizabeth's womb, six months pregnant, apparently John the Baptist goes wild when Jesus enters the room in his mother's belly. Now, I figure that John has been probably kicking and poking and doing all this stuff to aggravate his mom and amuse his dad for some time now. But whatever happened here was different. Luke says John leaped within her. Whatever that means. Jerusalem Inquirer, fetus gone wild. Whenever fetus cousin enters the room. You think that would make the papers? Photos, page three. Three months later, according to Dr. Luke, Elizabeth has her baby. Zechariah gets his tongue back. They name him John, which is weird because John was not a family name. Eventually, he's going to be called John the Baptist. Here's what it says next. It says, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. No kidding. If it actually happened the way that Luke says it happened, <laughs> do you think Zechariah and Elizabeth and their miracle baby would make the papers and the six o'clock news and a few talk shows and Snopes? And then in Luke chapter two, the story gets really wild. You see, John was just a geriatric birth with an angelic sidebar. How about a virgin birth? A virgin birth. Think of that. A virgin birth. And yet how Dr. Luke tells that part of the story is so remarkably unremarkable. <laughs> no drama, no flash, no bling. He just says this. He says, at that time, the emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. 
So all the people returned to their own ancestral homes to register for the census. And because Joseph, who was Mary's fiancé, because he was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. About a 90-mile trip on foot, nine months pregnant. Pretty tough girl. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And all it says is, she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's it. No details, no drama. He says, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. In other words, a virgin has a baby. Virgin has a baby. The wildest birth story ever. Tabloid birth if there ever was one. And that's all it says. <laughs> Virgin gives birth. Lays God's tree, tr- uh, kid in a feeding trough. That's what it says. Photos page three. One more crazy little detail in Dr. Luke's story. He tells us there were some shepherds nearby in a field that were guarding their flocks of sheep. Now you need to know that shepherds in this world were lowlifes. They were the kind of the redneckiest of the rednecks in that world. Kind of guys you did not want to show up at the hospital to crowd around your newborn kid. Hospital security would be at the door, right? The nurse at the nurse's station would be checking to see if there were any police down in the emergency room just in case. Shepherds were not only considered dirty, dishonest, thieving, troublemakers. You just didn't want them around. And Luke says they're the ones that God called to look at the baby. And here's what they said. They claimed that when they were out in their field, this ubiquitous angel showed up for them too. They claimed that the angel told them that their Messiah, their Savior, their Lord, was lying in a feeding trough a few hundred yards away. (laughs) Then they claimed that a whole army of angels appeared to them. And this army of angels kind of changed their lives. Now, do you think that story would make the front page of the Jerusalem Inquirer? Rednecks claim to see angels, officials investigate bad mushrooms, right? (laughs) Photos, page three. (laughs) Guys, Luke's birth story of Jesus is weird. It's really, really weird. If you didn't know about the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you didn't already believe that Jesus was the Son of God, would you believe this stuff? An angel appears to an old preacher, and then his old wife gets pregnant. Senior citizen center is all a Twitter. Angel, persistent fellow, keeps making these magical pronouncements, first to a young virgin, then to some farmhands. Then a virgin has a baby. A virgin has a baby. She claims to be a virgin. She claims to have been impregnated by God. Would you buy that story from anybody else? anybody else I don't think I would from anyone else I wouldn't buy it from my daughter I wouldn't buy it from my granddaughter I wouldn't buy it from any of you I don't care what you tell me I wouldn't buy it so why do I believe Dr. Luke because I do I know that this is the wildest birth story ever we buy it why 
Some people think that Larry King was one of the greatest interviewers ever. One time he was asked, if you could interview anybody that you wanted, who is it that you would interview? And Larry King said, Jesus. So they asked him a follow-up question. They said, if you could ask him one question, what would it be? He said, I would like to ask him if he was virgin born. Because his answer to that question would define history. And he was almost right. It's that big. But the significance of the virgin birth of Jesus actually pales by comparison to the resurrection of Jesus. But guys, this is a big deal. And I can understand why so many people struggle to buy it. The whole birth story is chock full of wild stuff. Chock full of the kind of stuff that you'd expect to find on the front page of a tabloid while standing in the checkout line at Kroger. Al Mohler, he's the president of Southern Baptist Seminary over in Louisville. A lot of times I wince when he writes, but this one I think he was dead on. He says this, he says, with December 25th fast approaching, the secular media are sure to turn their interest once again to the virgin birth. Every Christmas, weekly news magazines and various editorialists engage in a collective gasp that so many Americans could believe such an unscientific, supernatural doctrine. Huh. For some, the belief that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin is nothing less than evidence of intellectual dimness. One writer for the New York Times put the lament plainly. He said, the faith in the virgin birth reflects the way American Christianity is becoming less intellectual and more mystical over time, which is a pretty dumb thing to say. So why do we buy it? Why do we buy it? Or more precisely, why do I buy it? Now let me start here. I believe in the possibility, the possibility of a virgin birth because I, because I believe in a God. I believe in a God. Bottom line, there are two possibilities, right? There's either a God who made all of this or all of this just popped into existence on its own. To me, that requires too much faith. It's way easier for me to believe in a God than to think that all of this just popped into existence out of nothing on its own. That would require faith in a bigger miracle than anything any Jesus follower has ever swallowed. To be honest, I do not have enough faith to be an atheist or an agnostic. See, I believe the idea of a God is way more plausible than the hypothesis of no God. And here's the deal. <laughs> If you accept the possibility of a God, you pretty much have already accepted the possibility of the supernatural. If there really is a God, and if he is really a God, then you have to admit that God might be capable of pulling off a miracle. Is that fair? If God really is behind all of this, then it seems to me that God is smart enough and powerful enough and creative enough to pull off something as puny as a virgin birth. Seriously. Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, which makes sense to me. It makes a whole lot more sense that the heavens and the earth created themselves out of nothing. Bible says that God spoke them into existence because God, a real God, can do stuff like that. And if God can speak galaxies and stars and planets and the stuff that populates them into existence, then it seemed to me that planting a baby in the belly of a virgin is child's play. Otherwise, your God is kind of puny, isn't he? 
But that still doesn't get me to the virgin birth of Jesus. That just gives me the plausibility of a virgin birth if there's a God. See, I believe in the possibility of a virgin birth because I believe in God. I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus because I believe that God raised him from the dead. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins and for your sins. I believe that God raised him from the dead three days later. I think that the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is incredibly powerful. In fact, there's more evidence, historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than for any other historical event that you accept without wincing. There's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than for a boatload of the things that you accept as true every single day. And it's not just the historical evidence. I believe that God through his Holy Spirit has confirmed the truth of Jesus and his resurrection directly to us personally in a whole host of ways. This is not about blind faith. In fact, I believe it takes way more faith to disbelieve in Jesus than it does to believe in him. Too many evidences that you have to sweep under the rug. Now, I don't have time to unpack the evidences for the resurrection. I may do some of that when we get closer to Easter this year. But if you're curious and you want to get a jump on that, just catch me afterwards or send me a note and I'll point you towards some really good books. But here's the deal. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then he is who he said he is. He really is the Son of God. He really is my Savior and he really is my Lord. And if Jesus really is God in a bod, then entering into our world through the birth canal of a peasant teenager fits. God can enter our world any way he chooses. And he chose to make a profoundly powerful entrance. There are other reasons I believe in the virgin birth. Here's one. It's predicted. It was. Talked about this a little bit last week. 700 years before Jesus... 700 years before Jesus, here's what Isaiah the prophet wrote. He says this, look, the, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive a child. The virgin, virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and she's going to call him Emmanuel or they're going to call him Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. Breadcrumb. God pointing towards Jesus. There's another prophecy way earlier than Isaiah. I mean, there are people out there, you're going to hear this, they're going to tell you that we Jesus followers just stole a magical birth story of Jesus from some other ancient myths. <laughs> Guys, this prophecy goes way back before any of those ancient myths. In fact, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible. We're actually in the creation story. It is the earliest prophecy known to man. Genesis 3.15. You know part of the story. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Satan is in the form of a serpent. He tempts Adam and Eve to sin. Later on, God confronts Adam and Eve. What have you done? I mean, God knows what they have done, but he wants them to fess up. So Eve says, the serpent deceived me, and that's why I ate it. So God curses Satan, and this is what he says. He says, I'm going to cause hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring, which literally is her seed he will strike your head, you'll strike his heel. God's dropping a breadcrumb. Someday the seed of a woman will crush Satan's head. It'll hurt him. It'll bruise his heel. 
this Messiah, but he'll crush Satan's head, which is what the cross and the resurrection were all about. And it's absolutely fascinating that this Messiah is called the seed of a woman. Because everywhere else in the Bible when it talks about the seed, it's the seed of a man. Man's seed, his sperm. Back then they would track lineage through a man, his father, the grandfather, the rest of the guys in the family tree. Here it's the seed of a woman. Because the Messiah had no human dad. Which is why you will find Genesis 3.15 called the Protevangelium. The first gospel, first gospel breadcrumb in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. So I believe in the possibility of a virgin birth because I believe in God. If you believe in God, it's crazy not to think it could have happened. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin because I believe in the resurrection. Jesus really was the son of God. He was God in a bod which means a wild birth story like this fits. And I believe in the virgin birth because I think there are four shadows of it in the Old Testament story. In fact, one of those breadcrumbs, one of those four shadows goes all the way back to the book of Genesis in the creation story. And I believe in the virgin birth because I trust, I really do, I trust guys like Matthew, an apostate tax collector, turned Jesus follower, and I trust guys like Dr. Luke, who not only knew about childbirth, but who was such a careful journalist. And these guys were not gullible. They did their homework. And no matter how hard they were pressed, they would not back down. So for a host of reasons, I buy it. You? And if you do, what difference does it make? <laughs> Listen, guys, if God really did enter into our world through the birth canal of a teenage virgin, and if the reason that he did it was eventually to take our sins to the cross, and if God really did raise Jesus from the dead, then he is your Savior and he is your Lord. Do you believe that? Someday, you're going to bend your knees to Jesus. But why would you wait till you're forced? Why would anyone wait to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord when what he offers to us is the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of life, real life? Guys, I saw an article last week by a, about a remarkably generous act by a guy you've heard of. His name is Tyler Perry. Did you guys see that article? Pretty amazing. Apparently, he paid everything off in layaway at two Georgia Walmarts, Right? He wanted to do it anonymously, but it got out. He wanted to bless some people for Christmas. How cool is that? <laughs> but I read one person who wrote this about it. He said, that is what Christmas is all about. That is what Christmas is all about. It is not. As cool as it is, and it was an incredibly generous thing to do. Christmas is way bigger than that. It's about way more than Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Santa Claus and Christmas trees and tinsel and glitter and gifts and the most generous acts by any human being possible. That stuff is so cool. It really is. And it's little. Let me ask you the question again that I asked last week. What are you going to do this year to remind yourself 
and to remind those who watch you that he really is the reason for this season and that his gifts to you are the greatest gifts of all. By the way, next week we're going to look at the birth story in the Gospel of John. And if the birth stories in Matthew and Luke blow your mind, the one in John is going to blow up your heart. I guarantee it. We're going to start shifting from the what of Christmas, the how, to the why. Why don't you pray with me, please? Father, it's an amazing story. But you're God. And you can do amazing things. And you do those amazing things for us on our behalf. For that, the only thing we can do is just offer you our thanks and offer you ourselves. For the gift of Christ, we give you our thanks forever. And I do pray, Lord, that if there are those in this room that do not yet acknowledge that he's the Savior of their life, that they won't leave this room until they make that confession. We love you dearly. We want to honor you. We're so proud to be Jesus' followers. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.